Welcome to our latest webinar as part of the Aussie Speaker Series, Let's Talk. My name is Amy Conacher, and I am the Executive Director of the Australian American Chamber of Commerce, and I'm excited to have you all with us today. Before we begin, we would like to thank our generous sponsors for their support, BHP, United Airlines, the Australian Consulate General Houston, Platypus Brewing, Chevron, JLL, Macquarie, Worley, Air New Zealand, Energy Conference Network, the Fervid Group, Rystad Energy, and UHD Maryland Davies College of Business. Without their support, our programs would not be possible. What I would like to do is actually introduce Christina Stabe. Christina is going to be the moderator for the session today. She is also the vice president of the chamber, and she is based in Houston and is focused on investments in energy and technology. She's a civil and environmental engineer, and she has lived in both Adelaide and Perth, so she has a really neat Aussie-Texas connection. So I'm gonna hand over to you, Christina. Welcome everyone to Women in Technology. Um, this is a webinar series produced by the Australian American Chamber of Commerce in Texas. For those of you that don't know us, the AACC is a nonprofit organization whose mission is connecting the US and Australia through business, culture, and education. And as Amy said, I'm Christina Stay, Board Vice President of the AACC. So this webinar is part of our Australian Innovation and Investment, or Aussie, Women in Leadership series of programming. Our Aussie programming is our platform for sharing digital content that brings together innovators from the US and Australia across medical, energy, government, and technology sectors. And this webinar is the first in a series that are focused on women leaders in technology. So moving on, um, today I'm pleased to introduce our speaker, Stephanie Campbell. Stephanie is the Managing Director of the Houston Angel Network, General Partner of the Artemis Fund, and the Investment Committee Chair of Houston Exponential. Stephanie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Christina and Amy. I'm so honored to be here and part of this series. Thank you. Um, so I'm so pleased to have you with us today to talk about something that I know we are both passionate about, and that is the intersections of women and investing, women founders, women investors, and the potential impacts of technology on the lives of women. But before we jump into women and investing, Stephanie, I'd love to ask you about your story and how you became interested in investing. Um, your early background is in political science and government affairs, I believe. So I'd love to hear what sparked your interest in investing and what put you onto the path where you are now. Great. So yeah, while I did start out in political science, um, I ultimately ended up in investing after getting my MBA at Rice. Um, as in background, I was born and raised in Mobile, Alabama. I grew up um, the, sing uh, the eldest child to a single mother of three, uh, along with um, you know, a village of aunts and grandmothers helped raise me into a very strong woman who I uh, felt like you know, women can do just about anything, uh, encouraged me to pursue a um, my college degree, um, I picked political science because I thought I was going to move to DC and change the world as a congresswoman, potentially. Uh, once I got to DC, I realized I did not want to be in politics forever um, and ended up working at a lobbying firm advocating for clients a lot uh, focused on innovation and technology and transportation, healthcare, um, and infrastructure. I was at a firm for five years advocating for clients, uh, mostly in Southern California. And then decided I wanted to 
um, leave politics and get into um, building a business. I was really passionate about trying to maybe start a company or support companies. So during my MBA program at Rice University, which has the number one entrepreneurship program in the country, just a little plug for Rice there, um, really sparked my interest. They gave me the opportunity to intern with the Houston Angel Network my second year of my business school degree. And so I um, started as an intern and then continued dedicating my time because I wanted to understand the ecosystem. Um, spent two years volunteering, uh, then became director of operations and then managing director in 2018. Um, really fell in love with Houston, have really drank the Kool-Aid of Houston is the next tech, um, the next place that tech is going to be blowing up. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I got into in investing and how I came to Houston. Oh, that's a great, that's a great story and a great background. And so you're now a key member of Houston's startup ecosystem. And as you said, it's on the verge of blowing up. Many people and organizations are working hard to put Houston on the startup map. I mean, in 2019, we had the announcements of the ION, TMC3, the HX Fund, but still the majority of startup funding um, obviously happens outside Houston and even Austin's only receiving a small percentage compared with um, Silicon Valley, New York and Boston. So, you know, where do you see Houston getting to in the next five to 10 years? I, I really see Houston um, at the forefront of innovation and tech. I really believe that there's a great opportunity here to build a very strong ecosystem. And it's been very exciting to see even over the past five years, um, the growth of the ecosystem, the collaboration of the ecosystem. For many years, I believe before, um, you know, the uh, creation of the ION and Houston Exponential, um, a lot of Houston's ecosystem, tech ecosystem was siloed around Houston. Um, however, there's been a lot of effort and initiatives from the corporate community, the investment community to come together and figure out how do we become the next tech ecosystem hub. Um, even this year, there's data that shows despite venture capital down across the nation, venture capital investment investment is up in Houston. Mm -hmm. I believe that's because, you know, people are, are, are fleeing some of the big cities where it really is incredibly expensive to live there. They're looking for, um, you know, places to raise their families that are economically um, available, where they can have more space, where they can hire more talent um, at a better price, even though it's the same caliber, if not better. Um, so I think Houston and Texas um, as a state is really gonna benefit from some of the urban flight to more spacious areas. Mm -hmm. No, I think you're absolutely right. And of course, with Houston's very dynamic energy and medical communities, it's, it's a fantastic place for innovation. So I'm, I'm as hopeful as you as seeing great things happen in the next few years. Um, let's, let's move to the intersections of women and investing and how things are changing. You know, recently in the media, we've seen more focus on women founders and how more diverse teams can beneficially impact investment outcomes. And there's been studies that have pointed to the fact that having a more diverse team has a net positive impact on the startup success and teams with at least one female founder raise more capital from investors. So it seems like having a founding team that includes a woman is a good thing. Absolutely, I mean, um, actually, the data shows that um, of every year, there's about $130 billion that goes into the venture capital asset class. Of that $130 billion, less than 2% goes to teams with at least woman, one woman on the executive team. Mm -hmm. There's been a huge lack of capital going to female founders and companies with um, female, at least one uh, female 
uh, executive on their team. However, we've seen changes in the corporate world, um, in the nonprofit world. We have seen, uh, you know, pushes to more to diversify boards and executive leadership. That has not really happened as much in venture capital. Mm -hmm. And the Artemis Fund, um, the one the fund that started that I've co-founded, focused on female founders, um, is setting out to change that. And there's been a growth in funds that are focused on uh, women and minorities um, to, to try to take advantage of what we quite frankly see is the traditional VC firms leaving money on the table by not supporting women founders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think um, a team of all fe female founders is still most challenged to access capital. Um, it, it feels like we're missing something, perhaps um, a more structured network for women, women founders. Um, you think that's important? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons we decided to start the fund in Houston. So um, the beginnings of the Artemis Fund uh, really started at a Houston Angel Network holiday party. Um, I asked my co-founder, who was then a member of the Houston Angel Network, what's missing in Houston? Uh, and she said to me, there's no place for female founders and female investors to come together in yeah. Houston. Mm -hmm. And in my background, when I was in DC, I worked for women's groups. Um, when I was uh, doing my MBA, I ran the Women in Leadership Conference at RISE, which draws two to 300 women each year uh, from the corporate world in Houston to talk about women in leadership. Um, and so this is where I thought, man, I can really get behind this um, because I've seen changes in, in the social arena, but if we really wanted to make an impact, I wanted to change women in wealth, mm -hmm. um, women starting companies, women exiting companies, women being investors and backing the types of companies that they wanted to see. And um, so I would say that men typically just have a built-in network. They talk about it at, when they're golfing, they talk about it over drinks. Um, women tend to talk about kids and, and, other, and other social, not investments when they're being social. And so we wanted to change that. So we set out um, starting, um, starting a, a dinner series with Alliance Bernstein on, um, on investing, just introducing women to venture capital and the opportunity that it presents. Um, and after about five dinners, we said, okay, we're tired of talking about it. Let's do something about it. We think there's enough momentum. Um, we think that women do want to invest typically what we found was they had never heard of the asset class. They were intimidated because they didn't have any education about it. Um, and they just simply had never been asked to invest. So my husband gets asked to invest all the time, but no one's ever asked me. And I think I could pick a great company as well. And so, and that's not just for women. I find that, you know, new members of the Houston Angel Network are in the same position. They've been very successful in their careers, maybe starting companies or working in, in the corporate environment. But once they decide to invest, they don't know where to get started. And so I think it's really important for, to have um, strong networks like the Houston Angel Network and for women to start building their own types of networks as well. Um, we've actually seen a significant increase in female um, investors at the Houston Angel Network over the last two years, um, yeah. because I think women are starting to say, hey, I, I can do this too. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, you've been involved with the Houston Angel Network for a while, and I think I read that only about 22% of angel investors are female. So, I mean, historically, do you think it's just because women haven't been exposed to how to become an angel investor? And are there things that you do at Han to help bring women in? So um, I think that um, back to what I was saying, there just hasn't been enough education. Mm -hmm. um, I think that 
with networks like the Houston Angel Network or with any social network, you tend to invite your peers, right? You tend to invite your friends. So most of the members that come through the Houston Angel Network are recommendations from other members. And so again, if you're talking with your golf buddies about the Houston Angel Network and how much you love it, those are the types of people that will join. And what we've actually seen is um, over the last couple of years, actually one, my other partner, Leslie Bowman, is a member of the Houston Angel Network, and she always encourages the guys, I know you know successful women, invite them. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, and that's, that has actually happened. There's almost been a cultural shift where um, the, the, the men at Han are inviting more women to participate uh, because they're their bosses or their peers. And so I think we will see um, a shift uh, and more women getting um, active in, in venture capital, but we still have a long way to go. Um, we have about 20% of our membership um, at Han is women. That's doubled in the last two years. So it went from 10 to 20. Um, and that just comes from um, you know, education and not making it just a, a female thing, but encouraging the women once they do join to get engaged and to meet other members and to learn from them, um, so. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's very exciting. I can't, that's amazing that it's doubled in the last um, two years. I wanted to ask you, um, do you see the women members investing in different types of businesses? I mean, I've read that women angel investors are more likely to invest in things they care about and more likely to consider gender in their investment allocations. Yeah, that, I definitely see that. And, and I think it comes from, you know, when you think of a leader, when you think of success, you tend to see them through your own eyes. Um, and, and so even when you mentor someone, you see yourself in that person. I think it's harder for men to see themselves in successful women. Um, and so women as investors tend to see themselves as, you know, that young woman who one day is going to, you know, be a boss um, and just like me wants to mentor that person. Also women have different ex um, problems that they experience. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a huge um, amount of data that's come out about um, you know, femtech and how um, it's typically because it's all uh, driven by men has not really been focused on, on women and their bodies and their needs. Um, and I think that's changing. So you typically, you know, you can relate to a company if you've experienced that problem yourself. And so it's really hard to sell a lip gloss company to a man because he doesn't wear a lip gloss, right? <laughs> um, and so, uh, however, you know, women spend a lot of money on lip gloss. And as we can have we've seen, um, several companies have been very successful in that space. But there's a ton of um, industries, you know, women control 85% of all consumer purchasing power um, and healthcare decisions and financial decisions. As of 2020, women control two thirds of all personal wealth in the United States. So that will um, make significant changes in the types of products that we see and the types of products we see come to market if more women invest um, as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and if, if women bring their life experiences to their investment, I mean, they'll have a real opportunity to drive positive change for women as well. And um, so we talked about women in angel investing where the investment size is typically small and moving up the food chain, of course, is your space with venture capital where the investment size is typically larger. But I, I think I read there's actually a lower percentage of women making the investment decisions in venture capital. Um, and you touched on that a little bit earlier, why it's important to increase the percentage of female decision makers on venture capital teams. And that's why you, that's part of why you started the Artemis Fund. 
Exactly. I, I would say that the 2% of venture capital ties directly to the fact that at the top 100 venture firms, women make up only 11% of, of investment decision makers. So when women control the capital, women get in investments. However, that hasn't been the case. Um, and, and so that is another reason why we started the Artemis Fund is because we felt that if we really wanted to move the needle on that 2%, we had to write large checks. We had to help these women grow from seed to growth stage companies. Um, and be willing to take the lead. Uh, a lot, in a lot of cases, uh, a female founder struggles to find a lead investor for her deal. Mm -hmm. We're willing to take that risk. We're willing to do the, the hard diligence, do the work. And one of the values of the Artemis Fund is we will help that founder fill out her round. It's one of, our, one of the things that our, our founders love about us is we don't just say, oh, we got the best terms. Um, go, go get the rest of the capital. We will work really hard to help them finish out that round and make sure that they're well capitalized with strong co-investors that can help get them to the Series A, the Series B, and to exit. Um, so that's and, really important to us. Yeah, I was just going to say that's such an important point that for a startup, getting that lead investor is everything to anchor that first round and give other investors confidence to follow on. So that's a fantastic premise of your fund. And I've, I've also noticed with the, the theme of your investments, it seems like in your portfolio right now is always around greater accessibility to existing industries in ways that are beneficial to, to women and families like UNEST helping families save for college and Hop Skip Drive providing transportation solutions for families and then C-Note providing a platform and to invest in inclusive companies. So do you think these investments are examples of problems being solved from a women's perspective? Yes, absolutely. And before we move on to the companies, I just wanna make the point that um, in many cases, women feel that venture capital isn't accessible to them. Um, and you think that you have to write a million dollar check to get involved. Um, and for many funds like ours, we've started out with a much smaller minimum so that women can get involved. Um, the difference between being an angel investor and a venture capital investor is the amount of work it takes. If you're going to write your own checks as an angel, you have to do your own diligence. Um, you typically will write a, a smaller check. You won't have as much rights in the deal because your check is much smaller. So we wanted to, um, so one of my co, co both of my co-founders actually were very active angels before they joined the fund and wanted to be able to pull more capital together, to write larger checks, to have the, have the rights. Um, and so um, I, if, you know, venture capital is as an, as an asset class really is accessible. Um, and we could talk about that offline, but, um, mm -hmm. and, and the same thing um, I would say shows through in our investment thesis. We want to make sure that um, the products and the companies and the founders that we're supporting are creating solutions for a huge problem and a very broad audience. So um, for UNAS, I think is one of the, the best examples. Um, the founder, Ksenia Udina, had 15 years in the 529 college savings space and wealth management and realized when she started to have kids, um, how complicated it really was to decide which 529 you, you wanted to get. Um, and she also saw with her, some of her clients that they struggled to make decisions. Um, there's decision paralysis from which state do you buy in? Um, you know, I actually bought one for my nephew and like ran a spreadsheet on the returns, but I was in business school and had time to do that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so what she did, she realizes that, she realized that if you are, you don't have a financial advisor, how do you make that decision? And so there's a whole swath of the country that doesn't have financial advisors, but it's so important to save um, for your kids and it really is accessible. 
So she started a, um, a 529 college savings plan that you can start on your phone. You can start it in under five minutes with as little as $25. It's not an AUM model, but a subscription model like Acorns. Um, and so it, it can be much cheaper um, at a certain level. Um, and she, we led her round uh, her series seed um, and then other big firms followed us. And then she just raised a series A, we're very proud of her uh, this March um, with the fund out of LA. Um, but her whole thing was, you know, blue collar workers um, or those even white collar workers that really don't have financial advisors quite yet could start saving simply. Um, same with C-Note. I mean, that one, we're really proud of that one. We just invested, um, has, has just created a product actually to help small businesses um, who were unable to get PPP loans um, to deploy capital um, during these troubling times. What they do is package and price fixed income assets called CDFIs. Um, they're essentially local banks and credit unions and provide them as um, investment assets to family offices, foundations, and banks. And right now, with a lot of those individuals and those entities trying to impact communities, they can use CNO to deploy capital and help small um, businesses and Main Street businesses get back to work, because um, that's what CDFIs focuses on. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, all of those UNEST and um, and Hop Skip Drive in particular, I think they're bringing um, accessibility and solving those pain point problems, bringing it a lot closer to the person, being being app based platforms. And the 529 thing I think is amazing because as you said, it brings that financial expertise, you know, right into the palm of their hand versus having the have the roadblock or even the mental roadblock of finding a financial advisor and setting up the 529. So really easing that path to start the saving for college, no matter what income strata you're in. So that's to me, that's like a real disruption of an existing industry, not having to go to your financial advisor to, to open a 529. Um, do you think we're, we're going to continue to see these um, existing industries, industries, sorry, being disrupted? Um, what do you see providing the biggest opportunities in terms of the lives of women and caregivers other than the ones we've identified in your portfolio companies? Yeah, and I think it's important to note, for example, that C-Note, 90% of all the capital they've deployed have gone to businesses led by women and minorities. Okay, so it's cool. making a huge impact on uh, those communities, which I think is vital. Um, I, I definitely think, especially we're all home handling a, a job and kids, um, that caregiving is absolutely going to be disrupted. And I think it's about time. Um, yeah. Actually, so we focus on what we call, uh, well, FinTech, uh, what we call life tech, anything that helps take care of your children up to your age and parents, and then sustainability. Uh, what we really mean is like supply chain, sustainability, food tech, um, help us live, work, and play in a more sustainable way. Um, but life tech is the, is the one area where we really feel, uh, especially right now, um, that there's a lot of opportunity for innovation. Um, the burden of care falls on women, um, no matter what. Um, and I think even during, during COVID, men are starting to realize, oh man, this is a lot of work. I can't imagine how I would do this if I had to do this all the time. And so um, we're seeing tons of um, innovations and you know thinking about how you take care of both your children and your aging parents. There's a, a huge part of the community that are um, sort of, or, or they have their kids back home and they have their elderly parents at home. And so how do you manage that? How do you provide services and maybe technology to connect you to, you know, safe, affordable services that can lift that burden and help women get back into the economy? Mm -hmm. um, I've also seen a, a ton of technology around 
um, reskilling women um, and, and helping them find you know, flexible work opportunities. Um, so there was some research that showed that if women contributed just as equally in the economy, we could add $28 trillion to the GDP. And wow. so, yeah. And so I think that there's a ton of opportunity to use that capital, that human capital that's sitting on the sidelines um, mm -hmm. for, for, for good and for, for economic development. And um, we're definitely interested in seeing those technologies and, and following the need solutions in that space. Yeah, that, that was going to be one of my questions. I mean, it's my personal experience that the differing roles that women have in their lives and caregivers as well, a lot of their human capital is unutilized because they need more flexibility. And so any way that we can um, clear that path to, act, to accelerate the access to that human capital in a more flexible way, that can only be ben more beneficial for everybody. I wanted to ask you also though, um, when we talk about developing these solutions, it's, it's obvious to me that women have got to be part of the conversation because I think we've seen some examples where technology in some ways is potentially negatively impacting women like bias and algorithms for financial decision-making or the challenge of implementing robotic process automation, RPA in a way that doesn't disproportionately impact the jobs held by women. So I wanted to ask you, do you think how important it is for women to be part of the de development of those technologies? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's critically important. Um, there's also a stat that shows that most, like 48% of all women fire their financial advisors after their husband dies because they've been, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they've been talked down to or patronized. And I think that um, traditional industries are taking notice, right? Women are controlling wealth. They're controlling more of the decisions and they need to be heard. Um, yes, I definitely think that in, you know, um, in technology, um, women definitely need to be involved. We've seen a ton of, I, I, I would say, you know, especially in femtech, I think it's had the biggest impact. There's been tons of, you know, treatments, uh, devices, or their lack thereof for women's health. Um, and, and that seems to be changing. Um, yes, I think it's, it's very important that, you know, that in, in the development of any new innovation, that a broad section of the population is involved. Um, and I think that's one of the benefits we, we find in female founders is when I look at their pitch deck, it is the best of the best um, coming from different schools, different backgrounds. They tend to be looking for the best talent they can find to get the job done. Mm -hmm. And to be quite honest, I essentially roll my eyes when I see five white guys on the team that all went to the same school. Um, like how do they have different perspectives that are going to help a, pr a product be the best it can be? Um, maybe that's a little, not a little uh, PC, but um, you know, different ideas and diversity of thought um, is what drives innovation. And we find that female founders tend to be at the forefront of that. Yeah, I don't think you're going too far on a limb making that statement, Stephanie. I think <laughs> diversity of thought is, should be an obvious way to get the best investment outcomes. So, yeah. um, well, thank you. This, this has been an amazing discussion. I know we've got some questions from our audience. Um, before we open it up to the q and I, I wanted to ask you very specifically if there's folks listening to this webinar that are interested in getting involved in angel investing in Houston or getting involved in the Houston startup ecosystem in some way, what would you recommend as the best way to get started? Yes, uh, I would say start talking about it early and often with your friends. What are they investing in? Make it a part of your social circle, um, especially women. 
I would say consider joining an angel network. The Houston Angel Network is the largest, oldest, most active one in Houston and in Texas. However, there's other options. Uh, they're growing daily. You can find them all on Houston Exponential's website. I helped create a list of resources you can see there. Um, check it out. Um, contact me. I'm happy to uh, talk to you about the ecosystem. It's something I love and talk about every day. So more than happy to, to connect with your membership. No, that's fantastic. And um, we'll reach out to you and we'll send a follow-up email to um, the attendees of this webinar with some resources that they can use to get started with. So um, have a couple of questions. And um, but so if anyone else in the audience has a question or two, please feel free to chat it in um, in the chat box and I can have a look at it. But a couple that have come in early. Let me just um, wanted to ask you if there's founders in Houston that are seeking funding opportunities, um, what, what's the best way for them to reach out? Should they try to present to Houston Angel Network? Or I mean, obviously it depends on the size of the business, but I'm just curious, where would, if someone thinks they have a great idea and they wanna become a founder, what, what's the best place for them to start? Yes, um, so the Houston Exponential has done a really great job of, of really bringing the resources together. So I would highly recommend you check out HoustonExponential.org. There is a list of resources around the ecosystem from accelerators to co-working spaces to, um, to angel groups, venture funds. Um, it's a really great place to really find out where to start in the ecosystem based on what industry you're in. And then something just launched called the HX Tech List, where companies who are interested in raising capital can put their profile up and investors can cont contact them directly. So that's really exciting. It just launched this month. Um, so I'd highly encourage you to start with uh, Houston Exponential um, as, a, as a first place. Okay. I'll, we'll definitely send out a follow-up note on that. Here's one question that came from the audience. Um, the news just came out today about the SEC expanding the definition of an accredited investor. And um, the, the questioner says, you may not have had a chance to consider that yet, but can you in general talk about um, whether or not you have to be an accredited investor in order to be an angel investor? Yes. Um, so you do have to be an accredited investor to be an angel investor. Um, and the minimums or the, the, the rules and definitions actually just changed today to really expand it to professionals who have certain certifications now. So if you work for a fund with a certain amount of assets under management or a bank or a hedge fund or a family office, um, then you are likely qualified because you're used to looking at deals. Um, and so they've expanded it. So I think that's great. It's gonna definitely open up, um, I think, um, a lot of opportunity for individuals who are qualified and who understand investing to invest. Um, I think it's really important though, um, you know, the rules are in place for a reason. Um, they are to protect investors because um, angel investing and venture capital investing is risky. It can definitely pay off. And, um, you know, what we hate to see is if someone invests in one company, all that they were thinking about investing <clears throat> that year, and then it goes to zero and then they never want to invest again. And so it's really important that you um, get the education that you maybe participated at an angel network to understand the ecosystem, the rules of the road, the terms. Um, and you have people to bounce ideas off and questions who've been there and done that um, before you just start writing checks to your friend who's starting a company or your friend of a friend who seems like they've got the best ideas since sliced bread. Um, mm -hmm. It's really important. And it's also important to think about portfolio construction um, at, at an individual level, um, and then even deeper in your investments. So 
you really should put no more than 10 to 20%, depending on um, who you are, into this asset class. Um, and then within that investment, you want to make sure that you're diversified, that you don't put all of your companies, you wouldn't put all your money into one stock. So you want to make sure you put all of your, um, your, your investable assets in this class um, into a wide variety of companies. And, and hopefully in, in companies where you have some kind of knowledge or experience or you mm -hmm. understand that market. Um, so I think above all, if regardless of what the SEC changes, um, it's important to get educated about investing and to do it as a group. Um, I would recommend um, if you angel invest, you start at an angel group. If you decide to do a venture fund, um, which provides you more diversification with a smaller check. So you can, you know, if you invest in the Artemis Fund, for example, you get access to all the companies in the portfolio and therefore your risk is diversified. Um, but, you know, get educated. I think that it will open up the opportunity for a lot more people to get involved, which I think is exciting though. Yeah, and there's a, there's a question about the Artemis Fund, but I just uh, just wanted to follow along with that. I think, don't you think most people, once they get involved in angel investing, they're surprised about how much relevant knowledge they actually have. Like there's not this huge barrier to providing value to, to startup companies. Anyone who's worked in a business or built a business can see challenges that need to be solved and be a mentor and, and, and get their foot in the door that way. I think, I think people probably overestimate, you know, the level of expertise you might need to just get started. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our, our membership, we have 120 members and it ranges from lawyers to people who've built tech companies to marketing executives, um, to oil, lots of oil and gas executives, doctors. Um, you likely do have some experience and the collective knowledge helps even more. So you can say, hey, I don't have any marketing experience. Can you help me understand, you know, what they really need to grow, what, what the spend is going to look like. Um, so the ability to ask questions and leverage the collective knowledge of the network is huge. Um, and, and that's what we do each month in, in the deal process. Um, it's really learning to be an angel investor by doing. Um, and, you know, we as at the Artemis Fund don't know all the answers. And that's why we have an advisory board. So mm -hmm. on our board is a fintech expert, um, someone who's raised a venture fund four times before. Um, and then we have um, founders who've had exits, um, industry experts on our advisory team. And so, um, yeah, it's really important to surround yourself with people who have of experience. And I think, yes, exactly. You, and I think that's probably what the SEC is trying to say is, um, there's a lot of people out there who really are qualified to do this, but you know, they're on the cusp of being accredited investors when it comes to the income requirements and the net worth. Absolutely. And I think this is such an important conversation that I hope, I wish more people could hear because I think there's a lot of myths around investing that keep people from getting started and continuing to access the traditional established ways through financial advisors, et cetera, which as you said, are important, but still for your own personal wealth building, learning how to invest is, is really critical. Um, we got one question about the Artemis Fund. Um, someone would like to know if you're currently seeking new investments with your fund, and if so, what, what do you look for in the company and the founders that you back? Yes, we're actively deploying capital, um, and we've invested in four companies so far. Um, we're about to invest in a fifth, which we're very excited about, and we'll invest in 10 more companies uh, through 2021. Um, we're looking for companies that have strong product market fit, um, that have some revenues, um, looking to raise somewhere between uh, one and $2 million in a seed or pre-seed round. We're looking for really strong, tenacious, gritty founders that happen to be women. Uh, and uh, we will invest in a co-ed team. So 
um, mostly we're just looking for a really strong team who has experience in their space, um, has the, the knowledge and determination to, to grow a company to success. Yeah, um, and I, if the audience has any more questions, we're getting close to our end time, so please squeeze them in there if you've got something. Another question we had was, what advice would you give um, to someone, a woman, considering starting a company right now based on your own personal experience? Is there some advice you can provide, and, and especially with the uncertain environment right now, is, is it a good time to jump in and, and try mm -hmm. to get started? Yeah, so I think this is a really important question because um, I think a lot of times women wait till they're absolutely prepared. Uh, they want to know everything. They want to make sure everything is perfect before they start. Um, I do think that now is a great time to start a company. Um, if you know, if the economy you know does go down, it's always best to be riding the wave up. And in fact, um, many of the companies, the the biggest, strongest companies that we know today, were started during the last recession. Mm -hmm. And so I think I think it's never a bad time to start a company. Um, and I think that. Yes, that if you are considering it, especially if you were laid off or um, if you're, you know, trying to be um, flexible. I know it's very hard with the family dynamics right now. If you have kids at home, um, I think it is going to potentially prevent a lot of women from starting businesses and they're going to be just preoccupied. But mm -hmm. I do think it's always a great time. There's a lot of good talent on the, out on the market at, at you know, at, at the right price, especially in Houston. And so I would highly encourage, you know, if you're thinking about it, there's so many startup development organizations, accelerators um, that are virtual that you can participate in and, and, and get started. Well, if somebody is seeing that opportunity that we're, you know, we're at the bottom of the cycle and now's the time, because as you said, a lot of resources are underpriced um, if you've got the capital to get your hands on them. Is there, are there specific industries that you would recommend people to focus on right now, given what's going on in the world um, in terms of starting a business and seeking investment from angel, angels or venture capitalists? So um, I don't know if I can talk to specific, in, to specific industries in general. I think it's really important, like I've said before, that you have experience in that space. Not, you're not really using investment dollars to figure out the market, um, mm -hmm. but more to grow and to, to plow into growth. Um, um, you know, we have just avoided the travel industry for now. Um, I think there's a ton of activity in life sciences um, and, you know, in, in food tech. Uh, there's huge growth and a move towards sustainability and plant-based. Um, we're really excited about that. Very excited about ed tech, femtech. Um, but in general, um, you know, I think you have to focus on an area where you have an advantage. A lot of, so during the last um, oil bust, you saw a lot of people stepping out. And it typically in Houston, actually, is not young people in hoodies starting companies. It's professionals, right? Mm -hmm. Been in businesses for a long time. And they go out to say, hey, my boss never let me solve that problem. Now I, I, I'm going to go out and make a business out of this. So it's in some way an area where you have an advantage and you have an expertise to get started and create a business out of it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You want to be someone who's got the domain knowledge and have a way to immediately differentiate yourself because that's what's going to get you money from investors yeah. faster. <laughs> um, absolutely. Okay. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, any other questions from the audience? I think Stephanie answers them so quickly and concisely. <laughs> She's, she gets through the time pretty fast. 
Okay, Stephanie. Well, I think we'll go ahead and close because I think we have um, have exhausted our questions. But um, I want to thank you again so much for sharing your insights today. You've been an amazing speaker, and I'm sure everyone who's been on this podcast is going to contact you <laughs> and ask for more information. Um, I just want to let everybody know um, we do have two future webinars scheduled um, for this Women in Technology series. Um, the first is Marie Myers. Um, she's the Chief Transformation and Chief Digital Officer of HP, and she will be with us on September 30th. And then Barbara Berger, who's president of Chevron Technology Ventures, is also going to be speaking with us on October 28th. And so we hope that everyone who's on this um, webinar today um, joins us for those webinars as well. And so Stephanie, um, on behalf of the AACC, again, I want to thank you very much for attending and, and being our guest speaker and for everyone who's attended today as well. Thank you. And if you are interested in learning more about the AACC um, and, or following up on our other events and podcasts, please check out our website at www.aacctexas.org. Thank you. Thank you so much, Christina. Thanks, Stephanie. Take care.